Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Anybody want to raise your hand? Have you had an emotional week for anything? Anybody lost your mind, gone off on anybody? Anybody want to raise your hand on that? No? No juicy stories we all get to sit and listen to? Let's just do this. Raise your hand if your spouse has already made you really mad this morning. No. (laughs) You're not supposed to raise your hand. But I told you to, so I guess... Yeah. You know, I think, you know, all of the emotions and all the experiences and all the feelings that all of us come in contact with throughout the week, they, they can just manifest differently, right? And different days we're good with them and different days we're maybe a little poor with our decisions. We all probably have testimonies of this, right? And I just think that if all of us, you know, at some times would just act out how we feel, I think that's best captured in maybe some of our different feelings and emotions. It's best captured in some of uh, just watching little kids drive little cars. So check this out. my favorite is just the guy pounding his head into the steering wheel, right? You, we've had these days, right, where sometimes you're just like, that's it. I'm just going to drive it off the cliff. You know what I mean? And tilt it upside down. Some of us just say, that's it. Like, I'm going to run over her. Like, I'm really just going to get in the car and run over her, right? It's just a good caption of like, you know, really, we probably could analyze a lot of truth and what our, our hearts feel like we kind of want to do some days. But man, emotions and feelings, man, they can just really uh, get the best of us. And, um, but we need to be real in addressing this matter because it's the world we live in. And there's a way to do it and a way not to do it. And so we're thankful here at this church for the Bible. Uh, we are a church, and I know you might expect us to say, yeah, we believe in the Bible, but uh, I just want to make clear, like, we certainly believe that it's God's word to us. And even though it's historical documents, um, it is not left in history It is very much alive and present and active today. It's got profound, profound insights for you and me and how to orchestrate our lives today. It's what makes it so just masterfully written. I mean, like, how can we written so long ago and apply to all the changes of all the generations and all the cultures? Um, There are just incredible living truths. And so within the book of the Bible, we we, we find a book, if you just open up the the Bible halfway in, you're going to come across the book called the Psalms. And a lot of us probably are familiar with the Psalms. Some of us would say that's probably our favorite book. That's what we do. If we get around to reading the Bible, we just kind of open it up, take in a Psalm and, you know, check mark, and we're off on our way. Uh, But generations after generations, you know, we we look to the book of Psalms um, for for guidance, for strength, for hope. um, and, and, And it's a very, very useful book. Well, I would just tell you, if you're new with us or new to the whole Jesus thing, that if you want to look through a window and see, like, the bright, like, open meadows 
in the really dark corners of the human soul, the book of Psalms is where you can feast. Um, it's full of passion. It's, 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 it's real. It's raw. And you will find uh, misery there. You'll find pure jubilation. You'll find these heavy laments going. But then you also find this rock-steady hope. It's an amazing book. And, 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 and the range of its emotional power is, is, just, is just powerful. It, it's emotive language. It just um, is like no other in, in, the, in the Bible. And it puts us in touch with our emotions because we can feel ourselves being understood. And for all of us, whether we can articulate that or not, that's our deepest desire. We, we just want to be understood in certain things of our life. And the Psalms is an avenue that provides that for us. And the Psalms just teach us how to take our emotions and, 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 and live in accordance with our faith. And how do we spiritually, maturely um, uh, handle the, the, the situations that we're in? And so there's a couple things. First of all, if you're anything like me... There's a spectrum of, let's just say, emotions and feelings and all these things. And we can just go right down and, you know, it starts bad and it can end good. Like angry, frustrated, disappointed, hurt, rejected, uh, forsaken, forgotten, um, condemned. And then we can get into like maybe enlightened, um, accepted, forgiven, hopeful, praiseful, thankful, um, joyful, into just rejoicing, straight up rejoicing. I mean, all these chairs on these spectrums, you and I could take our turns just sitting in one of them and say, man, this is, this is me today. Like, like, this is where I'm at, or this is where I've been at for a few months, a couple years. This is, this is where I'm at. But it's important to kind of look at all that and then just understand, like, if we're breathing this morning, which we are, we, we resonate with one of the chairs up here on this, on this spectrum. And... What's great about the Psalms is that it, it, it relates with us, that, that the psalmist would come up and sit right next to you and be like, yeah, I know what it feels like. I've been there. I've been there, and I've written about it. For example, a couple quick examples you guys would resonate with. Psalm 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I mean, some of us are like, come on, baby. Sunny days, the windows are down, you know, music's pumping. It's just like, dude. I lack nothing. Like, I am good. The Lord is my shepherd. Like, you are feeling it. You know, it is all good in the hood. I'm on the banks of Wabash living it up, right? Like, it is all good. But then some of you would say, man, the same person a couple days later might be like, whoa, today's a Psalm 88 day. Psalm 88 is the darkest psalm of the book. It doesn't resolve well. It concludes with, the darkness is my closest friend you've been there i have this is real stuff like 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 there's emotive power in the language of psalms and no matter what chair you would sit in upon this spectrum the psalmist i'm telling you is going to sit right by you and say i've been there and that's what makes it so amazing for you and me to open up this ancient songbook of <laughs> israel and find Find an explanation for what we feel. Find somebody who understands what we're going through. And, 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 and you want this, and the reason is, is because we all want to be understood. But, so what's 
Check number one is that Psalms, if we cross the line, says, okay, it understands us. It explains us. It, like we find ourselves in this and we draw that line. And the other cool line that we get to draw about the Psalms is that where it's located in the Bible that, or where we classify it amongst other books. And we classify this in the books of wisdom. You see, you've got the books of Torah, which is like the law and the teaching, the first five books of the Bible. You've got what we refer to as the historical books, um, the uh, former and latter prophets, like that's Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, and Samuel, and Kings. Like all this history of Israel, like that's, that's a collection. You've got like the epistles in the New Testament, where it's Galatians, Ephesians. These are letters just written to the churches, right? You've got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, so there's groupings within the Bible. And one of the groupings is the books of wisdom. And this is practical stuff for everyday living. And so you've got Job, uh, you've got Psalms, Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes. And so what's cool about the book of Psalms is that you're crossing two streets here. You've got something that understands you, that, that, that can explain you, but then you've also got wisdom. And those cross. And at the intersection of that, that's kind of where the book of Psalms lays. Who doesn't want that? Like, I want that. Like, I want to be understood. I want to be known. And then I want to be able to be uh, edified. I want to be able to be told what I should do accordingly. What's wisdom in the eyes of God? And so this is this powerful book right in the middle of your Bible that, that, that we hold, hold for us. And, 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 and the, the reality is, if you were at chapel a few weeks ago, you, you heard me talk about this. And if you've been in some of the classes where we look at some scriptures of the Bible, you've heard me say this. But the Bible is realistic, okay? Over 70% of the illustrations in the Bible deal with people in the desert, wilderness. How am I going to get out of this? I'm in a jam. How, am, how is this going to get righted? Like, <laughs> turn right side up. Like, that's realistic. That's the Bible. And... That's a lot of our lives, right? So it's not that the Bible is this like perfect life and now we live. No, 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 no. It's very realistic. And so this is what we turn to to figure out. And it just has profound insights for our life today. That's why me as a 38-year-old, married about almost 16 years and four kids, whatever. Like my story, I, I can relate with emotions in the book of Psalms, but so can the junior at ISU right now, you know, going through some life choices and what job am I going to get? Like everything that they, they would be experiencing, feeling, they're going to resonate with the psalmist. And so is the mid 40 year old uh, single mom. Like all of us connect in the book of Psalms if we dive in and find it. But this 150 books, this collection, this makes up this, this ancient songbook of, 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 of Israel. And, and there's 150 of them in our, in our Bible today. And this is where we cannot afford to make the mistake and not connect Jesus to this. Uh, Jesus was an Old Testament scholar, right? He, I mean, he knew his scriptures. And of all the quotes in the Old Testament that Jesus uses of the, of, of the Old Testament, that Jesus quotes in the New Testament, of all the, all the quotes, um, take a guess at what book was quoted the most. Psalms, that's right. Well done. Um, and now this is, this is profound because the way Jesus quotes from Psalms is not only that he quotes it, but it's, it kind of shows that it's the manner of someone who's very accustomed to living, praying, 
meditating and pondering on these songs, these truths of, of how will I stay the course and, and what's going to happen um, in the midst of all my circumstances. And so while we can't tell you who wrote every single psalm, we can tell you that the collection we have is the collection that has been handed down to us from then, and that is the world in which Jesus grew up in, which is just really cool to stop and think about it. Like if you really start to think about Jesus and then look at like, like the book of Psalms and just think, man, like no, these are the songs and prayers that have been going on for ages. It's just so fascinating. So did Jesus ever experience emotions? Well, of course he did, right? I mean, we can just take the two examples we just used. Psalm 23, 1, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I mean, are you kidding me? Jesus, like, you know, five loaves of bread, two fish, you know, come on, dude, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, I lack nothing. I got it all. Come get your grub on, right? I mean, like, I lack nothing. I'm strolling on the water, on the waves. Like, the Lord is good. I lack nothing. All is right. But yet, a Psalm 88 moment for Jesus, right? Was he rejected? Was he rebuked? Uh, false accusations spread against him. Like, like what else happened to him? He was beaten, right? Mocked, scorned. He was in a garden praying, dripping sweats of blood because of the agony. You don't think that was a Psalm 88 moment of the darkness? Appears to be my closest friend. What is going on here? And of course, he highlights that with on the cross later. You know, my, Lord, my God, why have you forsaken me? So if we're going to consider ourselves followers of Jesus, friends, we've got to do what Jesus did. And it was clear that he heavily laid in to the book of Psalms and was, was formed by it. And so we must do the same thing. And so today, my goal is just to kind of give you just like a little quick, little bitty lesson and apply it to our lives out of one particular psalm, and that's Psalm 119. Now, that's the longest psalm, okay? And we're not going to dive into it all because, I mean, there is so much held in this psalm, and, uh, and we're just going to just look at a little bit of it, and if that sparks a question in your mind about, well, what's the shortest psalm? It's 117. You don't have to look for it, um, but Psalm 119, it's the longest, and we're going to look at one word, as you've already seen, and that is the word preserve. And just to say preserve, for a lot of us, there could be maybe something deep in our soul that would just say, amen. Like, I need to be preserved. So we're going to look at this. Now, for a lot of us, this phrase, preserve my life, O God. Preserve my life, O God. That's particularly the phrase that we're going to be looking at um, as we highlight the word preserve. Um, but it reminds me of this, this, this comic uh, it says, um, Henrietta provides us with eggs, and when she stops laying, we'll eat her. <laughs> and then the next slide says, picking up another dozen eggs, Henrietta? <laughs> you believe I am, right? Preserve my life like the chicken has figured it out, right? That's also the reason the chicken crossed the road. Oh, um, <laughs> But preserve my life, right? Like, 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 like we reach to ways to preserve our lives, right? We do this. All of us in this room do this. And for some of us, we try to do it, you know, with our diets, you know? I mean, I got to figure. I got to keep it, you know? I mean, I, you know, so I got to go to diets. But my goodness, when you look at the diets, are you talking about the Atkins diet, the Zone diet, vegan, Weight Watchers, South Beach? Some of us get into the carb thing. 
whole nother world? Is it the ketogenic low-carb? Low is it the low-carb with the high-fat? Or is it the low-carb paleo? Is it the low-carb Mediterranean? No-carb, one-carb, two-carb, three-carb? Whole food, no food? Can I get a carrot? Can I eat like a piece of cauliflower? <laughs> like, like, what diet are we on? And then we try to maybe preserve um, our bodies by exercise, right? And we open up a whole nother can, you know? Well, are you doing aerobic, anaerobic, Zumba, P90X, cross training, CrossFit, yoga? Well, wait, you said yoga. That opens up another thing. Are you talking about vinyasa yoga? Are you talking about hot yoga? Are you talking about power yoga? Are you talking about goat yoga? Goat yoga? Yeah, check this out. And where goats and yogis coexist in perfect harmony. So finding some calm. Yoga with goats is a new offering at the farm. You hear the patter of little footsteps around us. And it's certainly a one-of-a-kind experience. <laughs> so I've got, I've got nothing against goats. And I've got nothing against yoga. Um, but goat yoga... <laughs> it's at this moment I'm just thinking about my grandparents and then I think about their grandparents getting a peek into this <laughs> and no matter how religious they are the quotes that I can envision them saying uh, you know y'all ain't right anymore you know <laughs> what in the you know <laughs> I mean really but this is, yeah, 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 crazy, fascinating, right? I mean, that's a real deal, goat yoga. But no, seriously, though, some of you do want to exercise to preserve, you know, your body and stuff, but this is your view of exercise. <clears throat> that's right, right? Come on, preserve my life, oh God, yeah, preserve my body, right? All right. Man. So the psalmist, he just writes, Preserve my life, O God. Preserve my life, O God. And this is going to be the stance. This is going to be the position that if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, a Christian, that you're going to have to fall into. These are the words. Preserve my life. Preserve me, O oh God. I want you to say that after I say it. Preserve me, O oh God. All right, now we're just going to bump it up a little bit. Preserve me, O oh God. Okay, now like yelling, like in your room all by yourself, nobody's home, and you're just kind of having out with God, like a little bit louder, like, preserve me, O oh God. Say it nice and loud. Preserve me, O oh God. And now just barely, like just barely audible, like. Yeah. So if you're taking notes, I would just write down those four words, preserve me, O oh God. And I would just make it a practice this week to pray that over and over. And all your different voices. Um, because that is the stance in which Christians, in which we need to fall. And Psalm 119 is going to uh, demonstrate this. But this goes back to the very beginning, guys. Um, God wants his people, which is you and me, he wants his people to be set apart um, 
to set apart. It's the whole plan. We, we can't talk about the Bible. We can't talk about Psalms. We can't talk about Psalm 119, the Holy Spirit, um, new creation of life, and what Jesus has done. We can't talk about this without realizing the intended goal. And the goal is clearly that we would be a people set apart by God for God. And there's got to be a difference between the people of God and the, and, and the people of the world. This has just been his goal from the very beginning. And that started with the Abrahamic covenant back in Genesis 12. You will be my people, and I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations. Meaning, you guys live differently, and they're going to see you, and they will glorify my name because of what you do. And and they will come in to knowing my truth because of you. This is the whole goal. And so when you recognize the power of the story that's written in the law of the Lord, you start to understand why Psalm 119 holds such a high value of what's been going on with the word. Because until that's realized, we won't have it take root in our lives and we won't be a different people. So let me just tell you a few quick things about Psalm 119. It's very fascinating. Again, this is your kind of what I would encourage you to read this week. Um, Psalm 119, if you have Audible um, on your Bible, um, this is one I just enjoy listening to. Just just hit play on it and let the scriptures go over you as you drive somewhere. Um, Just live with Psalm 119 this week. But the psalm, it consists of 22 stanzas. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, guys, okay? It's 176 verses. There's not another chapter in the Bible like it. But it's 22 stanzas because there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, okay? So, you know, English, we have 26, but the Hebrew has 22. So each stanza was representing from, a, from the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And not only was each stanza beginning with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet, each line in that stanza began with that letter. So this is a brilliant piece of work. I mean, it, it, it's artistry in its finest. It's, it's poetic genius. It, I mean, this is a brilliant um, rendition of, of, of th- this work and, and what, what the psalmist is containing in this. In a, e- each line throughout the psalm, if, if, if it doesn't contain the word Torah, it contains a synonym for Torah. So you're going to, if you look at, if you read this chapter this week, you're going to notice a lot of things like law, commandments, uh, statutes, precepts, and all these things pointing to this about what's written in the Lord. But it's for a reason. It's for a purpose. So let's just hang on and check it out. The whole point of doing a work like this is to kind of just show that God encompasses everything. He, he is sufficient. He is Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and everything in between. He is sufficient for us. And though there are several, several things we can pull out of Psalm 119, we're just going to lift up four quick benefits of what Psalm 119 is pointing us to about Scripture. So just check this out. The first one is liberation. If you read through Psalm 119, a lot of themes are going to pop up, but one of the main ones are going to be this idea of freedom. And this verse says it, I walk about in freedom for I have sought your precepts. Now listen, like walking in freedom, so many times we get this all mixed up. We think boundaries bring bondage, but actually boundaries bring freedom and no boundaries brings bondage, right? This is easily applied to our financial world, right? A budget brings freedom, 
we get to go do this, and we feel great about it. No budget, uh, we're going to do this, we're going to pay for this later, and all it brings is dark and gloom, right? Like, it's bondage. So we want boundaries, because that's where freedom reigns. <laughs> no boundaries, man, that's bondage. So, so in the world, of course, gets that mixed up. But here's, I walk, I walk about in freedom, for I have sought your precepts. The next major benefit that comes out of Scripture that the psalm points to is light. And we are all familiar with this little famous passage. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Which again, when you read through this, you see the verse that comes before this. And you kind of wonder, why didn't our VBS teach us this? And it says this, I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. And the only reason I make that comment is like, man, to know like, no, you will gain understanding by the words of the Lord. And you will learn to hate every wrong path. I mean, just imagine all the kids quoting, I hate every wrong path. I hate every wrong path. Like, it, it sounds maybe harsh or whatever, but, but this is scripture. And man, what would be the benefit of people really being indoctrinated with the idea of hate? Hate every wrong path. Just saying, then it turns into your word is a lamp for my feet. But anyhow, Psalm 119, 130 says this about light. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple, okay? So, I mean, it covers us all, you know what I mean? A few of us, you know, a few fries short of a happy meal, we're covered in this verse right here. You know, we're going to get this, all right? It gives understanding to the simple. Life, life, it brings life to us. Psalm 119, 144, your statues are always righteous, giving me understanding that I may live. And then another benefit is just the stability. And I just want to read a little stanza of this one. Listen to the power of this. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day for all things serve you. And then this powerful verse. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in affliction. Guys, that's a powerful verse. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. This brings the reality of preserve me, O God. Because my affliction is deep. My affliction is heavy. And if, if I don't delight in your law, if I don't scream and pray, preserve me, O God, I will perish in my affliction. So this psalm, Psalm 119, it's called a Torah psalm because, it, it, like I said, if you, if you keep track, tally marks of all the times you hear word and, and uh, um, uh, precepts and statues and, and, and commandments and decrees, if you hear all that, you're going to be marking up like in the 20s for every one of these. I mean, it, it's, it's over and over and over and over. But there's a reason for that. It's because... It's a, what we call a Torah-centered psalm, and there's, there's two others like this. It's Psalm 1, Psalm 19, and Psalm 119. Easy to remember, 119, 119, <laughs> right? You got that. But listen, in Psalm 119, it's also kind of said that it takes a couple verses of Psalm 19 and just expounds it into this beautiful thing about the word of the Lord and how it can preserve our life. And it reads this from Psalm 19. 7 through 9, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Again, preserve my, 
preserve me, O God. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Preserve me, O Lord. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Preserve me, O Lord. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. So guys, the bottom line is this. If you hang out with Psalm 119, you're going to hear a lot of push for how important the word of the Lord is. But you're hearing that because there's a goal in it. And the goal is for you to be preserved, right? And so this word, so we have all these words about laws and commands and all those are a bunch. But then there's a second wave of words that start to rise up. And in that we find this word preserve. It's found over 11 times throughout just this Psalm 119. Preserve, preserve, preserve me, O God. Preserve me, O God. Preserve me. The thing that we have to recognize first about this word preserve is that it's a verb, right? I mean, there's action associated with it, but it's also a plea. Like, like by saying preserve me, O God, you are basically confessing I can't preserve me. Like, I can't do this. You have to do this. Preserve me. And so the very first thing we need to write down about preserve is just that it is a verb and a plea. It's a recognition that I can't do it, so it's a humbling thing. But yet, it's a consistent thing that the psalmist teaches us to use. And there's this one section of scripture in Psalm 119 where we see this word used, and it gives us a really picture of what's going on. In Psalm 119, 154, we read, Preserve my life according to your promise. A couple verses later, Preserve my life according to your laws. A couple verses later, Preserve my life according to your love. Friends, if you look at promise, laws, and love, that's the gospel in three words, right? It starts with the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12. There's a covenant made. I will make you a blessing to the other nations. This is huge. This, this is God's promise, okay? This is on God. And then your laws. Well, God gives us laws so we would produce fruit, so, so we would have acts of righteousness. I mean, the laws are for our benefit. The laws are what sets us apart. And so this is on God. Like, preserve me according to your laws. You're the one who wrote these laws. Like, I didn't. So you got to preserve me according to your laws and then preserve my life according to your love. Of course, you know, we fell short of living the life God called us to live. So he sent Jesus to die and be crucified on our behalf. So God has demonstrated his love for us in that, right? We know God loves us. So again, now we're coming to the Lord. In whatever situation we find ourselves in, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, we'll get to that, we're saying, God, <laughs> I, this is not on me. This is on you. I'm saying preserve me because I'm at my end. I do not know what to do. I can't. Preserve me, O oh God, according to your plan, <laughs> according to your covenant, according to your laws, according to your love. Like, I'm just calling out for help. Like, preserve me. And so what we realize is it's a prayer. It's a word of humility. You're asking God to step in and do it. But you're also realizing that it's only going to be by God's grace that he will then allow us to understand what it is we are to do. But it starts and ends with him. 
And this is why it's imperative for us to understand how opposites work. God's ways are not our ways, right? Like anytime we think something is good, like Adam and Eve, it probably isn't, right? God knows what is good for us. God's ways versus our ways. And then the opposite of preserve is what? Decay. So a way to just kind of make this simple sentence to remember would be God's ways preserve, our ways decay. And this is just true all throughout scriptures and all throughout our lives, right? This is why the psalmist is connecting these two ideas, the law, the ways of the Lord, the commands of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the statues of the Lord, like, like all this, people, like, like this is incredibly important for you to be preserved. And, and it's connecting the preserve with us because your ways, your laws, your commands, it, it's not going to fly. And so anytime, anytime I'm left to my own devices, I'm probably going to do that which leads to decay. So you and I, we've got different stories going on this morning, right? I mean, all of us. We, I know we gather and sometimes Sunday can fall into just kind of like, yeah, I go because that's what you're supposed to do. I mean, I, unfortunately, that's the way it happens sometimes. But this morning, I, I want to encourage you and, and challenge you to, to really think about what it is in your life that's probably going to lead you to decay if, if you don't humbly get on your knees and say, preserve me, oh God. And, and tap into the incredible strength that God's wanting to share with us. Because if, if it's left to us, we will decay. There was a study done several years ago um, involving mice. Uh, and they, what the, the experiment consisted of was they took 20 mice and they injected them with, with high doses of amphetamines. And then they put 20 of them in 20 separate different boxes. Okay? And then they clocked it and watched them run around crazy until they finally just fell over fast asleep. They then took a new 20 mice and injected them with half the dosage of amphetamines. Half the dosage, but this time they put them all in the same box. And all the mice ran off all the negative energy going off everywhere that all of them fell over dead twice as fast. They then took 19 more mice, injected them with the same half dose of amphetamines, put them in a box, and then took one little guy with no injection, no amphetamines in his system, and put him down in the box, and then go. Sure enough, the one with no amphetamines picked up on all the negative energy going around in the box, and all 20 of them again died, even the one with nothing in his system. Friends, I, I don't know how to make it more clear than to say this world has so much negative energy. This world has so much negative energy running around all of us. And if we aren't careful, our eyes come off God and we look to the world and we get caught up and we get running crazy and all it leads to is decay. It leads to death spiritually. It, it leads us away from the source of everything that is good and right and true. 
But the temptation is mighty and the temptation is real and it's strong, right? And so for us, we have to understand that there is a situation in my life right now, a circumstance in my life right now, like what is it for you that, that would tempt you to not be patient upon the Lord, but to, to, to start trying to figure it out your own way, and it's only going to lead to decay. This has been the problem all along with the people of Israel. They take their eyes off the Lord, they look to the energy of the other nations, and they join in with it, and then it leads to decay. And then the Lord has to come in and redeem it. And then the people are good for a while. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they do it again. And for all too often, that's the same story with you and me. And so today, we're trying to figure it out and trying to say, God, would you preserve me? Preserve me, oh God. So here's the reality. The reality is there could be something in your life where you really have no clue how you're going to do it. Like, 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 it could be, um, a forgiveness issue, it could be a sacrifice issue, it could be a, um, a, a faith issue, there, but there is something in your life that if you're looking at it and you are completely honest and saying, this is a mighty struggle for me, listen, the only thing that I am being taught <laughs> that I can pass on to you are these four words, preserve me, O God, preserve me, O God. In Psalm 80, uh, 119.82, you'll see that the psalmist of this psalm writes, Man, God, my eyes fail looking for your promise. My eyes fail looking for your promise. Have you ever been there? Like where you're like, God, I have no clue what you're doing or what you're waiting on or how you're working through this. Like, like you're just completely lost. God, I, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm looking, God, like I'm looking for you and my eyes are failing to see where you're at. The psalmist is bringing to our attention that that's going to happen and we got two choices, the way of decay or the way of prayer and to preserve me, oh God. Too often we see decay. What we need to do is be honest with ourselves be honest with God and say, God, according to your plan, according to your promise, according to your love, this is your deal. I'm right here, and I'm trying to figure this out. But like the psalmist says, yet I will wait and trust. So my eyes can't see it right now, but I'm just confessing right now. Preserve me, O God, in the meantime. Because in the meantime, I do not want to decay. Far too many of us have fallen into the trap of decay. And I know what that feels like, being on the brink of that, where you think maybe that's the answer. Maybe you're completely wrong about everything and you want to just throw it all away and walk away. But then the word of the Lord rises up. It's like, don't do that. Preserve, preserve. This word just jumps out and it redeems you. It saves you and it becomes your prayer. Like, yeah, I don't want to see decay. Because see, decay is all about the Satan's voice. Satan wants you to pick the way of decay. Satan wants to push you in the way of decay. And you got to just basically kick him off your dinner table and say, you, you don't get to sit here anymore and have a voice in my life. And so the way we're going to do that is I'll just give you this uh, exercise to do this week. You have to combat that with being frank and open. And you need to write down what is it in your life right now that is just completely agonizing to you. Uh, like honestly like what in your life right now if you're like man 
if I continue doing what I'm doing or continuing to look at it the way I look at it in my flesh, I'm going to be led to decay. Like, like you've got to write that down and then four words, preserve me, oh God, because I've got no clue what you're doing. I don't, I don't want to decay according to your love. I know you don't want me. You got to move. Preserve me in the meantime. Preserve me, oh God. And so that's your homework. Hang out with Psalm 119. Be specific on what is agonizing. And then pray, preserve me, oh God. And then I would just also like to just invite you in the spirit of um, preservation and preserving. Uh, this Wednesday night is our chapel service. And we're going to have an Ash Wednesday service. It's Ash Wednesday. And uh, I thought it's time for our church finally to enter into this conversation of w- what is Ash Wednesday. So many of us have different um, uh, visuals of what we think of Ash Wednesday because then that means Lent and that means fish sandwiches at Wendy's. You know what I mean? Like, like that's our thought of, uh, of that, you know, or maybe a little less chocolate, maybe a little no Facebook. You know what I mean? And, and that's what it becomes. And um, I just think if we're going to be followers of Christ, there's a scripture in there that says we join Christ, not just in the resurrection, but we join him in life, we join him in suffering, and we join him in death dying to ourselves what does that mean to return to the lord for him to have complete ownership of our lives so i'm really looking forward you know we have candlelight we have you know we've created thanksgiving service none of these days are prescribed in the bible as holy days for church services right easter christmas sunday candle like none of these are opportunities for us to become aware of what god has done in our life and it can help preserve us and so i would just really encourage you if you got an hour Wednesday night come. Your kids will be taken care of, nursery up through, you know, seniors, the youth group. Um, kids will be taken care of. Come hang out with us in here. We're going to have a neat little Ash Wednesday service that I think is going to be really encouraging for the next several weeks leading up to our Good Friday service, which will be in April before Easter. Guys, preserve me, oh God. This is the story for many of us. Pray it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for everything that your word teaches us and shows us and pushes us to. God, everything that we tend to think is good sometimes, well, God, that's coming from a fleshly perspective. But God, you are divine. And everything that you do is divine. And so, Lord, help us in the moment where we just really don't know what way is up. Preserve us, oh God. And let it be from just the depths of our hearts that we want to we praise you through this. We want to wait well. We want to we serve well. And we want to be yours. Um, Lord, I just pray for uh, our church and for the, the, the people who call this place home. God, that you would be transforming us into the increasing likeness of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that the world can know that there is a difference with people who call Jesus their Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.